Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So there is this man in Seattle, and um, he was arrested for trying to siphon gas out of an RV. And he you know, started the process. He got the, the hose into the tank, and he, he started to try and get the gas out of the RV. And uh, the police came upon him as he was writhing around on the ground. And come to find out, he did not uh, actually put the hose in the gas tank. He put it in the sewage tank uh, of the RV. <laughs> Consequences. <laughs> there is... A moment that, you know, I'm sure we have all heard about or or maybe we even saw it on the news where the the pilot of U.S. Airways Flight 1549, hello little one, it's okay, (laughs) of U.S. Airways Flight 1549 where both engines are disabled, there's 155 people on the plane. And the pilot makes the decision to land the plane in the Hudson River. Consequences. And, you know, so often we think of consequences as only, only coming from bad things. <laughs> and maybe we think about that because we, we really don't like those consequences. And those consequences are the things that we try to avoid, like uh, siphoning out of a sewage uh, tank. But... There, there are consequences for every single step, every single action that we take. And the, the consequences that of our choices aren't always quite as clear as the gas tank or the sewage tank. And they aren't always quite as clear as, well, I can either kill all 150 people on board by choosing the wrong thing, or we can save all of these people by making the right choice. Those consequences aren't always as clear for every single choice that you make. Aren't you glad that every choice that you make doesn't have the, the cost of 150 lives associated to it? How stressful would that be? <laughs> we have the ability to close our eyes and to forget any of the consequences that, that will come from our actions, from the things that we do, to really deny that they even exist, to, to tell ourselves that, that in the moments where we're doing the wrong thing, that, oh, it'll be fine. It, it's, it's all okay. Everything's going to be all right. We, we don't need to worry about this. It, it's okay. And we have an opportunity this morning as we, we look at going from last week where we were at one of, really one of the most heartwarming stories that we see in this life study of David to now really one of the saddest. One uh, of, the, of uh, the most terrible situations that would come about in the life of David. And as we look at this situation, as we look at this moment, this window into his life, we get to learn about the consequences of sin. This morning we're going to be continuing our study, and we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 15. And this is 
a long chapter, and there's a lot of chapters leading up to this chapter, and so we're going to kind of summarize those, and then we're going to step back and look at what God has to, to teach us this morning through this account of David's life. And so what we need to, to look at first here is some background. The chapters preceding chapter 15, leading up to chapter 15, tell us about the story of this young man named Absalom. As a parent, if you read the story about Absalom, you, you look at, at this, the life of this kid and you say, man, I hope my kid doesn't turn out that way. <laughs> man, I, I hope I don't do something that, that brings this type of, of person into the world. As you look at your young child, maybe you say, uh, goodness, have I done something that's going to bring this about in, in a child that I have raised? And what we see here in Absalom is someone who is self-centered, someone who is rebellious, who is vengeful, who really has no conscience at all. We, when we see Absalom here, we see that he's actually already murdered one of his brothers, or he's put out a contract to have one of his brothers murdered. He has gone off into exile because of that action, and then he comes back and he returns to Jerusalem, supposedly because he wants to reconcile with his father. And there's this moment of reconciliation that takes place between David and Absalom, and, and you would think if you weren't familiar with the rest of the story that, that maybe this is the beginning of something good. Maybe this is where Absalom's going to turn everything around and it's going to be all right. And, and as a parent, you, you know that, that David is sincerely hoping with everything that's in him that that's the case. But this moment of reconciliation is just this, this facade, this, this show that Absalom is putting on. As we look at verses 1 through 6, we see that Absalom really has no desire at all to reconcile with his father. His heart, his mind, his goal, his spirit is set on something totally different. And he's not going to relent until he gets it. What does Absalom want? Absalom wants power. He wants fame. He wants glory. He wants nothing less than his father's throne. And so Absalom begins a very premeditated, very thought-out process to acquire power. And so to begin his conspiracy to achieve the, the throne, what we see first in verse 1, it says, After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. What, what's he trying to accomplish here? He, Absalom wants a show everywhere that he goes. Everywhere that he goes, he wants chariots and he wants all of these men shouting and proclaiming that he is coming. And then it says, and Absalom used to rise early and he would go and stand beside the gate. Now, why, why would he go stand by the gate? That doesn't seem 
all that important. But what would happen is the people of Israel would come to Jerusalem and they would come to speak with and to receive judgment from the, the king of Israel. The king of Israel was also the chief justice of that nation. Just like we have a Supreme Court, the king was the Supreme Court. And so people would come and they would want to share and get judgments on the specific arguments that they were bringing. And Absalom would, would greet the people before they ever got to the king. And, and as they were coming to receive justice, he would ask them what tribe they're from. And he'd say, it's, it's such a bummer that, that your tribe isn't being seen today. If I was king, everybody would get justice. You'll never get justice from this king. You shouldn't even bother, really. You, you have a wonderful case. It's really such a shame that you aren't going to be able to plead it today. Verse 6 tells us exactly what Absalom was after. It says, Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom was a loyalty thief. He wasn't stealing things, but he was stealing hearts. He was stealing the allegiance of his father's people. And he was after their hearts. He was after their allegiance because he was after his father's throne. And one thing that you don't think about very often is... Where was David in the midst of all of this? What is, what is the father's response to all of this? Didn't he know what his son was doing? This process of Absalom stealing the hearts of the people goes on for four years. And the Bible doesn't really tell us what was going on in the mind of David during that time. You know, as I was looking at this particular event and kind of contemplating, you, just, you have to, at that point, start kind of thinking, what would be going through your mind? Every parent wants to think the best about their kids. You want to, to believe that the reconciliation, that that moment was real. But right in front of David's face, we see that Absalom is stealing the loyalty of his people. The second stage of this conspiracy that we see in verses 7 through 12 happens is, as Absalom now tells his father, hey, I'm going off to, to worship. And he uses worship as a cover for this conspiracy. And he tells his dad, when I was away from Jerusalem, I vowed that, that if I was ever able to come back and reconcile with you, that, that I would go to Hebron and I would make a special sacrifice to the Lord. And so he's using sacrifice and worship as a cover for his behavior. And what Absalom is actually doing is he's, he's going... And he's sending messengers throughout the entire land saying that when the trumpet blows, when the trumpet sounds, 
All of these messengers need to stand up and shout that Absalom is king at Hebron. So basically, Absalom's trying to take over one portion of the kingdom. The, the next stage in this taking of David's position happens at verse 12. It says, while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite. And this was David's counselor. He was a relative, actually the, the father of Bathsheba. And he was a counselor to David. And he eventually became the conspirator with Absalom. And in verse 13, we start to kind of see just how successful Absalom was in this process of winning the hearts of the people. It says, a messenger came to David saying that the hearts of the men of Israel have all gone after Absalom. At this point, David's probably 60 years old. He's definitely not the same guy who killed Goliath. He's definitely not the same guy who, who won all the battles against the Philistines. He, he's getting older. And David looks and he recognizes that he's not going to be able to sustain a battle with his own son. And so he begins to plan his escape out of Jerusalem. As you look at this, as we look back at the however many weeks we've been going through this series of David, I think we're at least at week nine. If we look back at the life of David, the, the question that we need to be asking right now is how can this be? How can it be that this hero of Israel, that this great warrior, that the, the celebrated character of the Old Testament is now weakened, broken. He's fleeing in the dead of night with a small band of followers trying to make his escape back into exile yet again. He leaves 10 concubines to kind of take care of the, the house while he's gone. And in verse 23 it says, And all the land wept aloud. As the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. So the people with David are weeping as, as this great king is escaping into exile. In verse 30, it says, But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered weeping, and it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. When a king is clothed for mourning, his head is covered. He walks barefoot. He's, he's weeping as he crawls his way up the Mount of Olives. It's absolutely a moment to weep. And, and as we were kind of preparing for this time this morning, I, I realized something that is a little bit 
it's a different approach than what I've thought of before. Obviously, there, there's mourning for what is happening with his son. That Absalom is hurt, has hurt David through the actions of a child against the father. But there, there's more to it than that. The, the first point that we have to recognize is it's not just the actions that Absalom has taken thus far to take the throne. For Absalom to actually fully take the throne of Israel, there's a very specific thing that needs to happen. David has to die. And so what we see here is a realization that Absalom, his son, not only wants to take from him, he also wants to murder him. And that's a, a hard thing for a parent to realize. And so David is, is weeping for the fact that this relationship with his son is that broken. He's weeping because his people are being left behind into the hands of this man who is just completely ungodly. But there is another reason for David's weeping. And this reason that we see right here is the, what I believe is the actual reason for why we need to be studying this passage this morning. All of the other reasons that we see David weeping are, are reasons that are very much related to his circumstance. Most of us are not going to have a throne that someone is going to try and throw us off of. David is weeping because he understands what is happening in this moment. This is one of the clearest moments of the consequences of sin that you will find in the Bible. When, if we go back, David had made a choice when he was on the roof of his home. He made a choice to watch a, a wife of another man bathe. He chose to pursue her. He chose to murder her husband. And he chose to take her as his own. He then had a child with her who died at an early age. And Nathan, the prophet of God, came and confronted David about that, that choice. And when he came and he confronted David about that choice, there were some specific consequences that were going to come about. One of the consequences was the death of that, that newborn child. Another thing that Nathan predicted is that evil would rise up from the house of David and it would rise up against him. And the moment that we are seeing unfold as David crawls his way up the Mount of Olives is he's covered in mourning. He's not just mourning because his son is trying to kill him. He's mourning because his choices led to this consequence. His choice to commit adultery, his choice to bring about the death of Uriah the Hittite are what bring about this brokenness in his family. We, 
start to understand how far-reaching this consequence could be. This consequence doesn't just affect David. It's for David's family. This consequence is for David's nation. The people of Israel are suffering because of this consequence of sin that, that David has brought upon himself. Along with David, as he flees Jerusalem, is a 10-year-old son named Solomon. If David dies, if Solomon dies, then, then what happens to this kingdom that is supposed to never end? Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. In the economy of God, I harvest what I reap. I'm planting, I'm harvesting. It's a constant process. And, and we can't think that we can minimize sin, that we can say it's not a big deal, that this isn't going to matter in the long run. It's so tempting to do it. Sometimes we think that we can handle the secret sin that exists in our life. As a husband, it's easy to think that I can be irritable and distant with my wife and feel like that's not going to somehow damage that relationship. That's ridiculous. Of course it is. We think that we can follow our desires for material pleasures and not face the control that those pleasures then have over us. Every single day we are saying yes to something. And every single day we're saying no to something else. And so because of that, we all have a harvest that we are reaping every single day. The, the yeses that we have stated, we will harvest the consequences of those. The noes, we will harvest the consequences of those. And as David crawls up the Mount of Olives, as he has his head covered and he's walking with bare feet, David begins to recognize the consequence of his sin, weeping with every step. And it's right to weep because this is a horrible thing that he's going through. And it's, it's so easy to think in this moment, but... But Matt, I thought, I thought God had forgiven David. He, I mean, we see that there's that, that amazing prayer of repentance that David prays after he's been called out by, by Nathan. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. God absolutely forgave David as, as soon as that, that repentance came about. See, God is always, 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 always ready to forgive. His promise is that he will not turn anyone away who comes to him in confession. But there is an extremely important point for us to remember this morning. Forgiveness does not always mean the removal 
of the consequence. Forgiveness does not always mean the removal of the consequence of sin. In forgiveness, our relationship with the Father God is restored. We're we're made right with Him. The relationship that our heart craves allows us to to return to him because of, of what Jesus Christ has done on a cross for us. But there are still consequences for the choices that we have made. And sometimes it's easy to look at those consequences and feel like that's a contradiction of the love of God. But the reality is that those consequences are not a contradiction of the love of God. They're actually an expression of the love of God. It is so easy for us to look at sin as being something that is attractive. We're we're able to see sin as something that really poses no danger at all. Sometimes we look at ourselves as being the ones in control. And because of that, nothing bad will happen. God allows us to come to the end of, of this delusion by letting us experience the consequences of our choices. God doesn't do it because he's angry with us. He doesn't do it because he hates us. God does it because he loves us. And if it means that we need to limp for the rest of our life, but we get to limp with a heart that belongs to Jesus, then limping is worth it. If that is the the consequence that we are to deal with. So the question to ask this morning, whether you're a husband or a wife or a worker or a a student or a business person or a young person or somebody who's retired or wherever you land in your life, where are you now minimizing the consequence of sin? Where are you telling yourself that it's okay, this doesn't matter? Where are you planting seeds that, that we don't want to harvest? Where are we cutting corners that God doesn't want us to cut? Where are we rising onto the throne of God saying that that our own law is the way it should be? Obviously, it's not a a feel-good moment to, to sit here and think about those things, but it's important for us to think about those things. It's important for me to think about those things. Because this exists in my life. There are places in my life where I am actively harvesting things that I shouldn't be, that I don't want to be. Let's put it that way. We all are, if we stop and look at it for a moment. There are relationships that are breaking within the body of Christ because there are are choices being made that are pitting people against one another. How are we to be a light to the world when we can't even get along with one another in this body of Christ that we're in? It is not up to us to take care of this on our own. There is another king 
who walked up the Mount of Olives. There was another king who crossed the brook of Kidron, who, who went up the Mount of Olives to pray, and he was weeping too. He was weeping, he was mourning, not because of the consequences of his sin, but because of the consequences of everyone else's. His kingdom had come, and yet in an act of submission to the will of his father, he chose to go freely to a cross. So that we would be able to walk into the presence of the heavenly father, and we can proclaim relationship with him. Not because of what we had done, but because what Jesus Christ had done for us. So what we see this morning isn't just the story between a father and a son. It's not just something that happened all those many years ago, but it's something that's relevant for us today because of the fact that we also experience the consequence of our decisions. That the story doesn't end well. Absalom dies. David mourns for his son. He, he crumbles and he weeps and he cries, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. What we see here is sin is something that has to be taken seriously. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would reveal to us the areas in our life where we need to repent, where we need to turn, where we need to run away. God, maybe there is relationship that is broken between a, a brother or a sister in the body of Christ. Lord, maybe there is uh, choices that we are making that are going to result in a harvest that we don't want. Lord, we want to turn to you. We want to give our choices and our will up to you, Lord, allowing you control. God, we're giving up our rights. We're, we're laying down all of the things that, that would get in the way of right relationship, Lord. And that doesn't mean that we won't experience the consequences, God. Those, those things may still come about, but if that means that we are in right relationship with you, God, we will take those consequences. Lord, as we move to our time of prayer and ministry this, this morning, Lord, I ask that you would just allow us to examine our hearts to examine the words that we say, to examine the thoughts that exist in our mind, Lord. Help us to find those areas that, that need to be committed back to you. And God, if there needs to be reconciliation, Lord, I pray that that would come about. If there needs to be reconciliation with people in this room, I pray that that would come about. If there needs to be reconciliation with family, Lord, I ask that that would come about. Lord, we ask that you would rebuild relationships, that you would rebuild families, that you would rebuild so that we can be the light that you have called us to be. 
God. Just like that prayer that, that David prayed, Lord, we ask that you would create in us clean hearts, oh God. That you would renew a right spirit within us. God, that we would not be cast away from your presence. Lord, we ask that you would, would come and shape us and mold us into your likeness, into who you would have us be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 